Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud and get it automatically. If you like the Stitcher app, you can find it there as well. It would be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com where I'll post any of the videos that we talk about on today's episode. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. We shift our focus to our friends at the inaugural CFL Sketchfest in Orlando, Florida, which is happening this Saturday, September 21st, with four shows featuring acts from Vancouver to Miami. Today's guest is Kelly Rands, currently the director and executive producer of The Humor Mill in Orlando, Florida. The Humor Mill is hosting the festival and will be performing in the 8 p.m. block at CFL Sketchfest on September 21st. And Kelly will be leading a workshop on sketch writing that morning. Kelly's first sketch is a take on the Pinocchio story. Kelly reads the role of Pinocchio. I read the role of Geppetto. So let's go to the sketch. Geppetto prays to God on his son's behalf. Starlight, star bright, first star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might, have the wish I wish tonight. Lord, he's a good boy. Sure, he's made mistakes, but if you can see it in your heart to grant this little miracle, I'm sure he'll do you proud. Papa, Papa! What? What is it, Pinocchio? It happened, Papa! It finally happened! What happened? I'm a real boy, Papa. You're kidding. Oh, Pinocchio, this is a miracle. Yeah, Papa. She made me a real boy. She? Oh, you mean like an angel? (laughs) No, silly. The blue fairy. She came and made me a boy. So tell me, how did it happen? Did she appear in a beautiful light? Nah, she came in through the window. The window? Oh, You mean she glided in through the window. How marvelous. We have been truly blessed. No, Papa. She knocked on the window. She knocked? Yeah. She climbed up a ladder, knocked on my window, and said, let me into your house. She climbed up a ladder? (laughs) Yeah, silly. How would you get up there? I guess I, I was just expecting something a little more magical. Well... We can't be picky. It's still a miracle. Yeah, Papa. She gave me boy parts, but I still don't know what to do with them, Papa. Uh, We'll discuss that when you're older, Pinocchio. And and she gave me nails to bite and hair to cut and skin. Real skin, Papa. Incredible. How did she do it, Pinocchio? Did she have a magic wand? She sure did, Papa. It was covered in surgical blades. What? Yeah, she had a bunch of blades and a bag of skin. She was knocking at the window and said, let me into your house. And I did, Papa. I let her into the house. Surely that's not true. Are you lying, Pinocchio? Geppetto checks Pinocchio's nose. 
Oh, goodness gracious, you're not lying. Did you say she had a bag of skin? Lord, I don't mean to question you, but is this really your work? She gave me skin right out of the bag, Papa. It was a little long, so she had to cut it. Oh, God, no, this isn't right, Pinocchio. This isn't good. No, Papa, this is what we wanted. I'm a real boy. No, Pinocchio, it shouldn't have happened this way. Something is wrong. I think we need to go to the police. Pinocchio pulls out a phone. She said you'd say that. What? Who are you calling? The Blue Fairy, Papa. She said if you didn't like what she did to me, that I should call her, and she'd come here and use her magic and make you her friend, too. Geppetto closes the phone. No, Pinocchio, don't call her. Okay, Papa. Maybe I'll call her after... What was that? I'm hungry. Papa, I'm hungry for the first time. May I make some cereal, Papa? Whatever, Pinocchio. I just need to think this over. He looks towards God. You? He looks down towards hell. You? Papa, look! What? It's me on the milk carton! Geppetto grabs the milk carton. Oh, God, no! I'm famous, Papa. I bet the blue fairy did it to show everyone that I'm a real boy. Pinocchio grabs his phone again. I'm going to call her and thank her! Geppetto closes the phone. No, Pinocchio, this is not you. Sure it is, Papa. See? Pinocchio places his face next to the carton. The picture on the carton. Ah, no, 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 Pinocchio. This is very bad. This is not you. This is another little boy that is missing, but... So, if I have his skin, does that mean he's a wooden boy now, Papa? It's all thanks to that famous lady, Papa. The Blue Fairy. No, I... What do you mean, famous lady? Well, sure, Papa. I saw the Blue Fairy on the news this morning. They said she was wanted. I assume it was for miracles. The end. Hey, Kelly. Hello. How are you? All right. So tell me about this Pinocchio sketch. What sparked this idea? Uh, Okay. Well, this was actually created uh, in 2009. So quite a while ago. Um, We started out and have always through our uh, 10-year existence uh, tried to do things organically as much as we can. So uh, we'll take suggestions. One of our favorite ways of doing things is to take suggestions out of a dictionary. You take two words that seemingly don't go together and uh, put them together in something. So so one of our very first rehearsals that we had, um, we I actually checked on this. This scene is inspired by the suggestions from our dictionary of wooden and surprise. Okay. So, yeah. So basically we took those two ideas and the two actors kind of ran with that and created this uh, very bizarre Pinocchio scene. Yeah, it is a little bizarre. It's um, <laughs> it's definitely dark as you said it was. In the, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, in it's very macabre. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Uh yeah, it was was very interesting when we performed it uh, for the first time. Uh, we it was actually performed at our first public performance uh, in June of two thousand nine. How did um, it go? It was kind of a mess, but that's okay, <laughs> um, as you can expect. And actually, uh, there were a couple reasons I think why it was a mess. One, I think 
the scene is, is, a, is a fun idea. Obviously, our group's based in Central Florida, so there's the Disney Connect and that kind of stuff. So we we're trying to go for this, you know, slightly crazy fun, poking fun at Disney. Um, and in the process of that, it just kept getting darker and darker. So you saw the audience kind of start out going, oh, this is an interesting premise. And as we were redoing it again, I, I really realized the moment when this all went downhill is the bag of skin. <laughs> and it just it just starts to get worse from there. Um, and the the audience had the same reaction. You by the end of the scene, there wasn't laughter. There wasn't comments. <laughs> there was just silence. Um, and Fred Rue, Fred Rue, who is uh, uh, actually played Geppetto uh, in the original, you know, uh, putting this on stage at the end with no applause and stunned silence said, don't worry, the next scene will get better. Uh, how did you handle the bag of skin? Like, like, how did you create that illusion? Uh, we just actually mimed the props. Oh, okay. Um, so there wasn't yeah. like an actual bag or. Correct. Okay. Yep. Were the rest of the sketches in the first show, like as dark as this one is? No. And I think that's another one of the, the problems with this scene is that, uh, you know, we had some fun, lighthearted sketches and that kind of stuff. And then jumping into this very dark macabre, it might've worked in a, a show where the entire thing was very dark. And uh, I've always talked about, you know, it'd be fun to do, to put this scene into a very dark Halloween-y based show uh, and it might work well. But when we're doing cute, light relationship humor and then to hit somebody over the head with this, yeah, yeah, you're, you're um, I'm not gonna say you're setting yourself up to fail, but like putting it in a context like that is definitely a beginner's uh, mistake. Like it's such a rookie move, I feel. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like um, the other thing t too, I think this was a great uh, lesson for us very early on was to remember that just because you had a fun improv when you're creating organically doesn't mean you have a good sketch. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we, we were all on the floor laughing and rolling on the floor the first time we did this scene, but when you actually get it onto paper and you work with it again and again, uh, then you kind of go, wow, why, why did we put this on stage? <laughs> but I, like there's a part of me that does like the sketch, but I, I feel like it would, it just needs to be within a proper context. Like you, like you mentioning like, uh, a Halloween show or I think, uh, I think it's really interesting that like, you know, Disney has completely changed like all the original like Brothers Grimm uh, mm -hmm. fairy tales into something that's very lighthearted and happy when all mm -hmm. of theirs were just awful and like depressing. Like they all had mm -hmm. bad endings and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. A wolf's going to come and eat you. I mean, yeah. you know, like, like they were all very dark. And so this kind of follows a little bit of that vein. Um, it was interesting. Actually, we, we did another performance the next night. Uh, in uh, Daytona Beach, and this scene was also in that set. Um, and we had an okay reaction to it. I had probably about three or four people say, wow, I really love that dark scene. That's the direction you guys should go in. So <laughs> yeah. if you have if you have a group that's, you know, really likes that, then it worked out well, you know. Going to different audiences, there's always going to be that one person, those handful of people that, like, you know, like the darker... Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's all subjective. It's all taste. Yeah, it also was a great uh, example of sort of when to put a sketch like this into I, a show. Yep. It was uh, the second scene of a set. And this might have been one, too, that 
had the audience seen it 45 minutes into a set or something like that, where they realized, you know, we were kind of being silly all over the place mm. as opposed to hitting somebody over the head with something that's dark <laughs> and crazy at the start of a show. <laughs> and then, and then trying to get them back with lighthearted stuff later on. Yeah. 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 We kind of lost them. Dig yourself a little hole. <laughs> The other thing, too, that I, I think makes a, a difference, too, we actually, this first performance was done in a restaurant. Uh, so you always are dealing, too, with people, like, clinking glasses and all that kind of stuff. So if you can imagine, too, the horror of the entire restaurant just stopping dead <laughs> and listening to the end of the sketch. Uh, but uh, How was the reaction from the, the people, like, the, the owners of the restaurant, like, did they... Yeah, ironically enough, they were so busy cooking because we sold out the restaurant, um, like 130 people, and they weren't prepared for it. So they didn't watch a single bit of the show. Uh, gotcha. So, yeah. Okay. So you lucked out a little bit there, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then you sold them out. So, you know, they're bottom line. Yeah, people, they're, they're fine. Yeah, they were selling food. So about <laughs> that's about all they cared about. <laughs> all right. So before we dive into the humor mill and everything, uh, let's talk mm -hmm. about your beginning. Like, what... Do you have like an earliest memory of comedy as something cool for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always been our family, too, is one of those families that, that is always laughing and making jokes at each other and that kind of stuff. But I remember probably being, gosh, maybe four or five and sitting on Sunday mornings after church with my dad and watching uh, Abbott and Costello and just, you know, that. Obviously, I didn't get all of the jokes that they were doing at the time, but their humor and their speed and uh, just the wit of all of it, it, it. It's one of my favorite memories of me and my dad is watching that every morning. Yeah, I have so little um, frame of reference for Abbott and Costello. I think they're, they are a bit before my time. And like, I don't think my you know TV stations were still airing their stuff in syndication or anything. Like, I had a little bit of the Three Stooges growing up, but... A lot of television Philadelphia had already moved past because I know like New York City like played Abbott and Costello a ton still like into the 80s and 90s and you know by my time in the 90s it was all like the oldest we got was probably like Gilligan's Island and Brady Bunch. Oh sure, yep. So, but yeah. Uh, yeah, for us Sunday mornings were were all that kind of the sort of black and white old school things that they assume assuming the local tv stations didn't know what to do with sunday morning because quote unquote everyone was a church yeah it was probably um, cheap programming for them to run like mm -hmm. it wasn't yep. quite in the program it wouldn't have been in public domain but it would have been super cheap for sure yeah yeah i can imagine and you know just but just the the basics of comedy that were there and watching these guys you know a lot of them were movies where they worked their sketches into the movie mm. so you know uh Captain Costello meet Frankenstein and those kind of things were suddenly in the middle of the movie. You'd be like, wait, that's a sketch. I didn't realize <laughs> that they were, it was all a vehicle for look at our sketches, but yeah. Uh, and a lot of that, a lot of those things in those, that era were basically like, Hey, we've done this bit on stage in vaudeville forever. Let's the next step is putting it on film and, you know, Abbott mm -hmm. Costello, Lauren Hardy, the Marx brothers, like that was all their thing. Like three stooges, even like that, that's, why they got into the movies was to do it again. Yeah, exactly. like, yeah, so. yeah, to, you know, to really reach an audience that had not seen this stuff before, you know, they were touring all over the U S doing vaudeville or whatever, but something like a who's on first 
you go to a new city every time and people be like, oh my gosh, what's the scene? So now here's a way to hit all these people at the same time. Mm. Uh, so as you grow up, what else are you into comedy wise? Um, yeah, as I got into comedy a little bit more, um, really, and the funny thing is, I don't think until after high school, I really realized a lot of this stuff was sketch comedy. But, you know, I'd watch, oh, the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, uh, just a lot of the old style sketch show kind of things that were on at that time. Uh, and so, so just any of those kind of things were the, you know, the, obviously the scenes had nothing to do with each other most of the time. Yeah. So, so, uh, and, and then I had a, a fantastic, uh, director in high school, a uh, guy named Frank Gollin, who still teaches at the same high school who would just, always say hey go home and watch this go home and watch this and uh you know have you ever watched monty python before okay go go and watch monty python uh you know and don't pay attention to the movies necessarily the movies are great but watch you know their tv show and those kind of things so uh came out of high school not ever really done sketch but loved the sketch comedy world uh so you mentioned director like were you a theater kid growing up I was an absolute theater brat, spent all my time in the theater. Uh, actually, some of my earliest memories are actually uh, my mom and dad both did community theater together. Mm -hmm. And I remember actually being like I could see flashes in my mind of my mom passing me off to somebody off stage so she could go on for a show. <laughs> so the theater to me was always just, you know, if I if I wasn't doing a show, I didn't know what I was doing with myself. <laughs> So it's totally ingrained in you, like yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. yep. So. Uh, do you have a favorite role from your time growing up doing theater? Ooh, uh, wow. Um, you know, I did a musical version of Scrooge that was written for kids, um, and I played the ghost of Christmas Present. Um, and the big part of the whole segment is that he was supposed to play. A cornet and announce himself coming in. Well, I actually played percussions. So I knew how to play drums, but I had no clue how to play an instrument or anything like that. So the director made the wise choice to have me be horrible at it. And I just remember how much fun we had during the rehearsal process uh, playing with these just, just horrible sounds coming out of my cornet. Uh, mm. But the fact that my character would still think it was the best thing he'd ever heard. And then, like, was there a dream role that you never got to do that you that you would love to do? Oh, yeah, I grew up in the yeah, I, I grew up in the Lemez era, so I always wanted to play Garrosh. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of the the young boys version of I wanted to be Annie. Yeah, uh, you know, and I I could have sang Garrosh. Uh, my voice was has always been my strong suit, but uh, as far as actually playing it on stage, I don't know if I get the chance. Hmm. Where does sketch comedy come into then? Like what, like, yeah. So, uh, when I got to college, uh, I went to college at Indiana state university, which is a small college in Terre Haute, Indiana. And, uh, my sophomore year, uh, joined an improv group, uh, there and really just started having a ball with improv all the time your, uh, during high school. Was that your first like introduction to improv? Like, at college? uh, it was my, it was my first pure, this is improv kind of, uh, uh, introduction. Okay. So, uh, in high school, we played a lot of the improv games, but my director never said, we're doing improv now. It was like, let's just play around. Yeah, okay. So when I got to college, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, these things I've been doing is really improv. Yeah. 
uh, and, and in college was it short form or was it long form which yeah it was short form games okay. uh you know very heavily you know whose line is it anyways like the original yep. british group where we're just playing short games and that kind of stuff uh we certainly didn't know anything about long form or <laughs> anything like that it was hey i've got an idea for a game or i saw this game on tv or what have you yeah okay and then so after i got done with college uh moved to chicago and uh had immediately had the the plans to go to the second city and, and did you that's really where yes i did yeah i'm graduate of the conservatory oh, okay. program there um and that really taught me you know the whole process uh of doing things. It was a fantastic time to be there. Um, I was there from roughly 1998 to 2001. Uh, so while I was there, uh, Tina Fey was there, Rachel Dratch, Scott Adsit, uh, TJ Jagodowski. I mean, just a fantastic group of people were there and were on the main stage. And uh, Yeah. So who would like, who would have been your instructors as you went through the second city process? Um, just some amazing instructors. I have Martin DeMott, uh, who you know, passed away a number of years ago, but was sort of the, the king of the pick up the ball and play kind of idea that anybody can do improv and that mm. you just have to be willing to, to go for it. Um, probably the person I learned the most from, uh, was an old school second city teacher named Michael Gelman, um, who was so strict on the rules. Uh, which is funny because, you know, nowadays the improv rules, you're, you're kind of also told, learn these rules, but also forget these rules. But it's great in a level one class to have somebody who is just so strict on them. Uh, he taught me a great, uh, a great lesson that I'll never forget that he kicked me out of a class. Why? Um, <laughs> he kicked me out of class for asking too many questions. Uh, we we're doing a series of improvs and I kept asking questions, kept asking questions. He said, Kelly, you say one more question the rest of the time you're here. And he didn't preface with what he was going to do. Um, but like, you know, when someone says, don't think of elephants and you think of elephants now, it's like yeah. the next scene, the very first thing I said was a question. And so, I just looked at him and he was. <laughs> oh, so you were asking questions in the scene, not necessarily like in the class. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Not, not questions of him, but asking questions in the dialogue of the scenes. Oh, interesting. And so he said, you ask one more. And immediately the very first thing I said, the next sketch was a question <laughs> to my scene partner. <laughs> and he said, I told you, get the heck out. I'll see you next week. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Uh, I don't think I've ever had that experience. Like in any of my comedy education of someone getting kicked out for, but then I've only done like, you know, sketch writing classes. I, I actually, I've never done the improv track here in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, the good thing is that he certainly cured me of asking questions. I was scared to death to, to ask a question with a scene partner, I think, for the next 10 years. Uh, but as you go on through the Second City Conservatory process, you go from, you know, the level one classes is really a lot about the basics of improv. And then you start going into how do you improvise as a group? Then after you get through uh, level one and, and level one A, as they call it, uh, you re-audition uh, and then go on to level two, which is the really the development of a sketch comedy review. Mm -hmm. So we then really started working with things like, oh, let's take our improvisations and write them down on paper, coming up with ideas and that kind of stuff. Uh, my last two levels were done with a, a guy from Chicago named Tim O'Malley, who uh, is just fantastic at taking what are 
you know, sometimes crazy ideas and turning them into something that people would want to watch. Because Second City becomes one of like those fertile places where, you know, people go because they want to pursue comedy in the future. So were you, any of your classmates move on to big things on TV? Um, not necessarily, uh, or at least I've lost touch with them enough to know what they've gone on to. Uh, I know a number of them worked, uh, in the national touring companies. And, uh, I think one of them even made it to the, their second stage there. Mm. Um, but nobody really made it big. The, the people that, that, uh, I remember because I, during that period also worked in the box office. Um, the people that I remember the most are those people who went on to 30 rock and Saturday Night Live and that kind of stuff that were on the main stage and the second stage uh, there. Who, the fun thing about working in the box office there is you got to see them as real people, not just as yeah. these, you know, uh, people up on the stage that you couldn't interact yeah, with. Yeah, if you're, if you're an employee just as much as they are, like, it kind of de- demystifies, like, them as, like, a mm-hmm. performer as well. Like, Yeah, and I we used to, uh, all the time, the, the probably the best benefit of working there in the box office was um, the box office would close essentially half an hour after the show started. And I would second act the show all the time and watch it again and again and again. And <laughs> many times stay for the improv set afterwards. And just watching their craft and how it changed from night to night uh, was just, just one of the best experiences that I had. Yeah. So being like going through the class system and I imagine like, you know, seeing as much as you did, like, you know, their performance on stage has to be pretty edifying, like seeing improv and sketch comedy at that high of a level that often has to like really start digging into your brain, like as much as the classes mm-hmm. itself are, themselves are. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always thought about that going back to, to college where, you know, you kind of have a choice in college of either, going to a, a place where you're going to learn a lot, but maybe you're not going to be in a lot of shows or going to a place where you're going to be in a lot of shows, uh, which is part of the reason I chose Indy to go to a small school like Indiana state um, where I was in a whole bunch of shows. And this was the same kind of thing that I'd, I'd almost equate them to being even the idea of going through the conservatory program and the idea of seeing these people craft night after night. I'm assuming that you were able to get like one of the classes you would have written a full sketch review to perform. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So by the time we got done uh, level five class, you do a complete review. You do it in front of all of the big wits at second city. Come and see that the last couple of shows usually. Uh, so yeah. So how did that go? Really cool. To, uh, it, it, well, it went well. Um, and I just kind of struggled after that night. I really look back at myself and go, you know what? I, I love the art of sketch comedy. I probably my skills other than singing are best at directing and creating instead of being on stage. Okay. Um, I was good, but after five years of eating ramen noodles, I kind of decided that, <laughs> that making a professional career of being a comedian wasn't my strong suit. And I, uh, at that point, did you leave Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my wife and I moved down to Orlando in 2001. Uh, which was a horrible time to move down. It was right after 9-11. Uh, so there were no jobs to be had because we're a very tourism industry yeah. down there. Yeah, and, and, national uh, tragedy, there's no mm-hmm. joy. So there's no real no. want of that kind of entertainment mm-hmm. or spending that money or traveling. Like Very, very definitely an uncertain time for that city, I, I imagine. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, you you remember the president at the time had said come down to Disney World was one of the things that he suggested people do because it was just we need some happiness. Mm. It's such a horrible time. Uh, I was actually a, a mercy hire at Disney, as we joke about. Uh, in and around Christmas, they hired about 500 people who they didn't need to hire. Uh, and they just basically did it as like, a, see, everything's great. Please come down. Please come down. Please come down. How long did it take to rebound, like for Disney to rebound? Um, probably about two years, I'd say overall, uh, in general, to where people were coming. Now it's, I mean, obviously, it's just insane there. It's, we used to remember when there were downtimes, and there's there's no downtimes yeah. <laughs> anymore. Yeah, I, I I think I saw it was probably on BuzzFeed, which I really should stop going to BuzzFeed. But there's a, <laughs> a a video of like former Disney cast members because I think they're called a cat like anyone that's like they're mm-hmm. cast members, not employees of the of the the park, right? Like mm-hmm. like that's nomenclature. You got like, it. Telling you know like, the secrets mm-hmm. of Disney cast members and spilling the beans, and it was all just like, yeah, there's tunnels, mm-hmm. there's you know, there's certain places that we made out when we you know saw our boyfriend girlfriends, like you know whatever, <laughs> like. So I can't really imagine yeah. working. Yeah, it, it kind of destroyed the magic uh, to a certain extent because you you do you, it's like Oz, you know, seeing behind the curtain. Mm. <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the you know the sausage principle where if you love something, you don't want to see how it's made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I ended up working for Disney uh, about okay. a year, uh, and uh, you know, my wife ended up working a little bit longer because I, I worked in merchandise sales, so it wasn't that big a deal. Anybody yeah. could do that. Um, but my wife, uh, was a character performer, so she stayed out a little bit longer. Uh, Uh, yeah. Who was she a friend of? I always say my wife was a Chippendale because she was friends with Chip. Oh, fun. Yeah. (laughs) So she loved it. She just, at the same time, you know, you're not making that much money. You sweat your butt Mm -hmm. off. Uh, other, other opportunities come along. Yeah. It seems like it's, it's a good early twenties experience. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, there's some, some great memories that she'll always have some really fun pictures of me coming to visit her at work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, what else are you doing in Florida, like performance wise? Like I mean, you mentioned you moved yeah, down there so, in 2001 uh, and the, the humor mill doesn't start until 2009. Mm-hmm. So there's a big giant, giant chunk there. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I worked with several improv groups uh, in Orlando um, that sort of came and went um, also during that time. Uh, you know, when I first moved down to, to, to Central Florida, you're just sort of looking to make a job for yourself. So you're doing too many jobs that you need to do. Um, so a lot, a lot of working, a lot of working multiple jobs uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, again, some some lack of luck with groups that seemed to be doing well at the time and then disbanded after a certain amount of time. Uh, so uh, my daughter in uh, was born in 2005. And so then that kind of stopped everything. It was all about, obviously, when you have a young kid, it's, <laughs> it's everything's focused yeah, it's on the kid. And, and uh, yes, exactly. Uh, and you grow up very quick. Uh, but my, uh, in 2009, uh, my daughter, well, I wouldn't say a four-year-old self-sufficient, but they're a lot more sufficient than they are at six months. And yeah. uh, my wife had, had joked for years and, and talked about for years, the fact that like, gosh, it would be so nice to start a group down here doing sketch comedy because nobody does that in Orlando. Okay. So how do you get started? Like what's your first step of. So yeah. So, so in 2009, yeah, in 2009, we created the, the group, which uh, 
our group's called the Humor in Lower Orlando. And uh, we just jumped in with two feet and, you know, put um, uh, some advertisements on Craigslist and that kind of stuff just uh, to try and find people who were good improvisers and uh, went from there. It took us about uh, six months to put our first show together. And uh, then in July of 2009 was that first show that included the uh, scene we read earlier. Um, within that six months, like how many people would you say like would have auditioned or tried out or would, however your process was to select the group that you would have got? Yeah, our initial audition process had about 30 people show up, which was great. Um, I think a lot of people were intrigued. Uh, Orlando is actually a really good improv city. Uh, there's uh, SAC Comedy Lab, which is there, uh, which is where Wayne Brady came from. Mm. Uh, but just some amazing improv talent in the city but not a big sketch place. So I think a lot of people were really intrigued by our group starting up. So we had uh, initially uh, out of those 30 people, we had a cast of seven. Okay. Um, and a lot of them were, were very heavy improv world people. So we were doing a lot of sort of learning as we went along. We're like, okay, here's the process that I learned at second city, how, you know, you create organic uh, sketch comedy and, We'll figure it out. We'd rehearse you know, a couple of times a week for three or four hours. Uh, a lot of, okay, let's take that idea and I'll see you in three days. Uh, and we'll see where we go from there. Uh, how much were the other people writing for these first show? Like, like how did that break down? Not a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was probably about 70 to 80% of my writing. Okay. Um, because again, most, most of them weren't used to writing. Sure. Now, the nice thing with organic creation is that uh i'm using a lot of their words and that kind of stuff so basically we're recording every single rehearsal and then you could take bits and go oh wow i really like that scene idea and then uh, so essentially what we do is we we throw a bunch of ideas against the wall kind of like spaghetti we go okay i like these eight ideas we're going to come back next week uh i'll have actually taken and typed those eight or so short scenes out then we try to expand upon them and see if you know, you're essentially kicking the tires of a, of a scene to see if there's anything there. So you did like, you fully went the, uh, the second city, like improv to sketch, like. Correct. Like, In the start we did. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that's, you know, uh, the one thing that we did learn later on too, probably after a couple of years was, uh, and this was a, a great thing for me to learn is, there's no reason that you have to insist on it happening that way. It's great right. if it does, but if you, if someone comes and goes, I've got this great idea, we might play with the ideas just to help you flesh it out a little bit. But if you've got a great idea, there's no reason why we shouldn't take it. So uh, now we do kind of a mix of everything. How long did it take for, like, for a person to that first time? Uh, probably, I would say about a year and a half in. Okay. Um, I think my cast my first casts were uh just it, the whole premise of of putting essentially an improvised idea down on paper uh was a little foreign to them so i don't think they until they got comfortable they didn't really speak out and say you know what i have this idea and you know you get to a point where you go yeah that is a great idea let's give it a go yeah and i have to imagine that like i mean you mentioned that orlando the Orlando area is really good for improv but I feel like it is one of those cities that performers are going to come to like, you know, that D Disney as a job, there is, um, 
movement towards Orlando for those out of the college, you know, the first performance jobs. Like it, it feels like there is a a decent amount of people that would be available to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's always actually been one of the, the the best parts of our group has been that we've been able to get some amazing talent of people that moved to try to work at Disney or Universal, and you know, certainly some of the members still do. But uh, you know, we've had great talent over the years and people that uh, are, are phenomenal and just you know are willing to jump in 100 and try something that yeah sure they've seen on saturday night live but they don't really have much of a background in it yeah um all right so how much has the cast turned over in the 10 years that humor has been around um we've we've had approximately 50 to 55 performers uh, oh, wow. over the years now uh, yeah, so there's certainly been a lot of movement. Um, we always say too, though, that uh, with our groups, that you're never really no longer a cast member of the right. group. Um, if you go away to do something, there's no reason you can't okay. come back. Uh, and so we have that. We had we had a great string, uh, really, the last uh, about uh, six years or so, where we had a, a most of our cast was the same cast through those period of times. Uh, we bring on a person or, or a couple people every once in a while. But uh, I've had three cast members who have been with me uh, uh, at one point or another for seven years. Uh, my two senior cast members right now have been with me for five plus years. Uh, so there's certainly been a through line of certain people, mm-hmm. even though other people come in and out. Uh, so with, you know, it sounds like you have, a, you know, a nice core how do you get how do you all deal with that revolving door of the extra couple members that are either going to be newer they only can do certain shows like how does that happen um the group's always been really good with it um you know certainly we always talk to the new people that come in and say uh it's important to remember that you're only going to be in the show as much as you're here Mm. and as much as you're a part of the group so uh, since we're you know, we don't always create organically nowadays. Uh, it's probably about 50-50. But if you're not there organically creating, it's hard to be in the shows because you're not there to be a part of the, the scenes that uh, are going to make the show. But uh, it's always uh, difficult, I think, for those new cast members to have a chance to jump into people who've been there for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I imagine uh, Yeah, being so. that new person mm-hmm. definitely where the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it works. It seems to work better when you have more than one person. We've had a couple of times where we've had a person come into a cast of people who've been there for three or four years, and that can be very difficult on that one person. Uh, you know, and, and again, I've had people that came in by themselves and are with me for a number of years. So it just depends on the personality. Uh, so, what would you like consider your role within Humor Mill to be? Like, what like what would you call yourself? Like, on the masthead. Yeah, um, director and uh, executive producer is what I have on my uh, business cards. Um, I do some of the shows with the cast um, just because the fact that I do love to perform when it comes down to it. I have my degree in theater, and uh, even though my main nine-to-five job is somewhere else these days, um, it doesn't mean that I don't love to step on stage. Uh, So sometimes when it warrants it, I will uh, come on and be a, a member of the cast. Uh, but for the most part, I'm responsible for direction and creation and, and helping just keep the ship moving. 
Um, so tell me about the festival. <laughs> tell me about uh, CFL yeah. Sketch Fest. Yeah, CFL Sketch. We're really excited about this. Uh, I've actually wanted to do this forever, um, but there just hasn't been a perfect time to do it. Or uh, So we really decided with it being the 10th anniversary of the Humor Mill Orlando, that this was the perfect time to start a sketch comedy festival in Central Florida and actually the first one in the state of Florida. Um, so we're gonna be doing a one day festival, which is on uh, Saturday, September 21st. And very excited about the groups that are coming. We have four groups from around the uh, state of Florida, our, our group included. And then we have a group from Seattle, as well as three groups from throughout Canada. So we're very excited about the festival. Uh, we th That's one of the big things that we want to do. We've, we've started to get a good traction in a city that's, you know, understands what improv is, but not what sketch comedy necessarily is. So this is a furthering of that uh, opportunity to bring in some groups that are not from Orlando or from Central Florida and give people a chance to see what other groups are doing. So you mentioned that your festival is going to be the first in Florida, which I just, I can't really fathom. Like, and you mentioned that the humor mill, like yeah. in that your first weekend also went to Daytona beach, but like, is there not a mm -hmm. huge concentration of comedy of sketch comedy in Florida at all? No, not at all. Uh, and that's one of the biggest things we've had in our 10 years is uh, trying to get people to understand what we do. At, and, and what sketch comedy as an art is. Uh, we, we actually make fun of it in our advertising for this first sketch comedy festival uh, because uh, our hashtag is so sketch uh, because we, we had the very first year, I had a number of people go like sketch comedy that is that sketchy? Is it sketchy? Is it like risque comedy? What is so you, you're actually having to educate your uh, patrons who come to see your shows on what sketch comedy is. They don't necessarily think of, oh, I see Saturday Night Live, but I don't necessarily equate that to being sketch comedy. But the, you know, obviously the sketches that they do in that, or if you say to them, uh, Kids in the Hall, or you say uh, The State, or, you know, some of the groups that I grew up watching, uh, you know, they just, they don't equate that to the style as opposed to, you know, in a Chicago or a Philadelphia or some of the other cities where sketch is very established. Um, when we started up the group, we were the only sketch comedy group in Central Florida. Uh, there are groups scattered throughout the state, but not very many. When uh, Humor Mill started, how often were you all performing? Like, what was your like run of shows in that first year? Yeah, we did probably uh, uh, maybe a half dozen to a dozen performances throughout the year uh, in different places, uh, in different uh, locations. We try to do nowadays three to show three to four shows in a year oh, okay in those three or four there it's all new material each time uh to a certain extent uh we just with our 10th anniversary show we brought back some of the scenes from the past but uh largely we try to do new material each time oh yeah a couple best of sketches a couple uh mm -hmm. yeah we brought back one of our uh, previous cast members who uh is from new york and she did a sketch that she was a part of five years ago and uh you know, so just little things like that, just to kind of celebrate the fact that it was a, a decade of, uh, of creating comedy. Yeah. So, like, uh, so I found out about the festival because y'all, um, I don't know if it was email, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, had reached out to mm -hmm. uh, Philly Sketch Fest about promoting. Yes. And, like, mm -hmm. and Toronto Sketch Fest as well. And one of the 
producers of the Toronto mm-hmm. Sketch was here, and we were both like, oh, there's comedy in Florida? We did, oh, cool, awesome, like, great. Because, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I think, I think that's how Girl Brain found out about the festival was through us, like, mm-hmm. maybe. like. Yep, and uh, uh, Uber and Clonk, which is uh, from Toronto, found out from the Toronto Sketch Festival and everything. So, yeah, we're, we're real excited about the groups, uh, just even in our first year uh, that are coming to you know, bring some, some great comedy to, to central Florida. Does the, uh, the humor mill have like a dedicated space that you're always at now? Uh, no, we rent a space. Uh, so that obviously, uh, uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, is it the same space all the time? Like, are, is that, is that, do you, is that your home base? Uh, usually the last three or four years we've performed in the same location. Uh, the comedy festival that we're actually doing in September is at a new location for us. Okay. Uh, the primary reason for that actually being that the city of Orlando owns the space that we usually perform at, and they don't allow anything after 10 o'clock at night. Oh. So we, we wanted to run a festival that, you know, would, would run a little bit later into the evening, and then we just told that wasn't our option. That's lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Central Florida. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm, I'm really confused because I'm, I, I'm so curious about, you know, I, people like, Orlando's one of those cities like Las Vegas where you forget that there, there are people that live there. Permanently, <laughs> you know, like, yep, they're not just visitors mm-hmm. and tourists and you know seeing the attractions when they come in. Like, so how do mm-hmm. you feel? Your audience breaks down, like, cause like. And I don't mean this, this is going to sound bad to an extent and I don't mean it to, but like, <laughs> I don't expect the people that are coming down to tour, like to come to Disney are going to spend a night at a comedy, like, you know, at a sketch comedy show. I would. Correct. Yeah. So most of our, yeah, most of our people are locals. Um, they're people that have found us over the years. Uh, we've performed at uh, uh, four Orlando French festivals, which the Orlando French festival is one of the, the largest uh in North America, uh, and brings in, I mean, they have just 25,000 or 28,000 tickets they sell over the, the French festival. So, uh, it's a great time to get your, your name out to people. Um, we've also had just some, some great support from people who see us for the first time and just keep coming back and back. And so we, we've suddenly growed our, uh, our, our audience over the years, but it isn't, you know, we're not necessarily picking off the people that are coming to see Disney or see Universal no. or see SeaWorld. No, because why would you go see a comedy show where you can spend one hundred and fifty dollars to get into Disney? I mean, yeah, exactly. You spent ten thousand dollars on your vacation at Disney World. What's uh... <laughs> like, but but yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that we we deal with, but it's okay. <laughs> we're uh, we're really happy to you know you you deal with the situation you're in. I mean, if I was in. Chicago and uh, would be a completely different sell than I would be if I'm here in Orlando. Yeah. I know I've got to, to actually introduce my audiences to the concept of sketch comedy because you know, especially with this 10th anniversary show we did, uh, we pulled in probably 30 to 40% of the audience had never seen us before. Oh, very cool. So uh, yeah. So it's always a great opportunity to say to those people, Hey, this is what we do. Um, and then obviously a lot of those people end up becoming our fans and come see the next shows. Very cool. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think I'm, I'm the only person in the world that would go to Orlando and be more like infinitely happier going to the local sketch show 
than going to <laughs> Universal Studios or whatever. Like that's mm-hmm. right up my alley. Yeah, right up my alley compared to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's it, that's a, another big reason for having this sketch festival is bringing in groups that Central Florida wouldn't be exposed to normally. Hmm. That uh, having a chance to bring in these people from other cities who have different ideas or different levels of experience, uh, so that you know, again, we have this opportunity to bring comedy to a, uh, an area that I'd probably say is a little underserved from a sketch standpoint, at least. Oh, for sure. Like it definitely feels like it's mm-hmm. underserved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we glossed over it a little bit and we talked to, you know, talked about second city and you being there when Tina Fey and Rachel Dratch were there and, you know, being mm-hmm. a, a sketch comedy fan on TV. Uh, I ask everybody, I'm always curious, uh, who's your favorite SNL cast member? Ooh, uh, well, growing up at the time I did, I was a big fan of Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Okay. Uh, those were really the moments that I remember watching SNL on a regular basis. Um, and I love the fact that both of them just had our, such an interesting range of characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dana Carvey's church lady to Mike Myers, Dieter, uh, that just always seem to come up with great original ideas. Yeah. Is it like, is there a specific Myers or Carrie's, uh, Carvey sketch that are like, that really stand out to you? Like as like their ultimate. So Mike Myers and Dana Carvey together, their Wayne's world characters, mm. uh, just were hilarious. Um, and being from the Midwest originally, I feel like I grew up with so many Wayne's and Garth's, uh, that it, it really has always resonated with me. But I loved, to Mike Myers' Dieter character, the, the Sprockets uh, character, just because never seeing anything like that in my normal days, not only was it funny, it just threw me for a big loop as being something that, wow, you can play something that is such a different character from yourself. Yeah, and if you have no experience with anything German like that, or the, you know that concept of the, that German entertainment mm-hmm. that was always you know bizarre to Americans and it is such a weird mm-hmm. thing. And it really, I mean, on a good yeah, on a good note, it made me go, I, okay, I got to find <laughs> out about this, you know. Uh, and and that's one of the things I loved uh, that uh, Second City had told me was, and that I really try to carry through this is play to the smartest yeah. person in the room that I had no clue who Dieter was or what Sprockets was about or German industrialism, but he made me look at it. Uh, and to go, now I get the jokes even more than just a funny German guy. Yeah, I think it was in one of the SNL um, documentaries where I think it was Jim Downey, like one of the former head writers, uh, had this quote that I wrote down in my notebook where it was, um, reward them for knowing, but don't punish them for not knowing. Like, so, mm-hmm. you know, whatever topic you're on, you know, make sure it's specific enough that like the people that know what you're talking about, like, yeah, I get it, but still wide enough that like, you're not totally over everyone's head that has never heard of this before. Like still make it fun for everyone else. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a great combination between something that's going to make the entire room laugh as opposed to a nugget. That's also going to make three people yeah. in the room really laugh. And the good combination of those is, is great writing. So uh, I wrap up every interview. It's uh, so what's something that you would, uh, and and you're a person that went to a, a city 
and basically started a team and created a team and, and seemed to like shepherd those people into sketch comedy and helping them figure it out. So what's something that you would teach a, a new writer? Mm-hmm. That's something that you've learned from comedy that you would pass on to a new writer. Uh, is the first thing I always push my new people to do is to just get pen to paper. Don't worry about what you're writing, the quality of what you're writing, uh, and that kind of stuff. We have some new cast members that right now that I'm working with on this project of that you don't know what you're going to create if you never start. So I really push people to, to, you know, a lot of times we'll just sit and write for five minutes or... Uh, we'll do writing conversations back and forth between multiple cast members. Uh, that it's amazing what somebody who has no background in it can create if they just, I guess, to, bo- to borrow an idea from Mark Demott, if they pick mm. up the ball and play. And then finally, why sketch comedy? I love the fact that I can take something and refine and add jokes and make it a a little bit better every time I do it. There's nothing better than the spark of an improv where it's perfect that time and you have a great scene, but then also being able to tweak it to make little changes, add a joke, remove a joke, try to find the the minutia of a scene to me is so enjoyable and uh, is why I love doing this. Nice. Sounds great. All right. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You can see Kelly's troupe, The Humor Mill, perform at CFL Sketchfest this Saturday, September 21st, in the 8 p.m. block. Not only that, but there are three other shows and a load of workshops that morning and afternoon during CFL Sketchfest. For all the information, head to thehumormillorlando.com and cflsketch.com. Follow The Humor Mill on Instagram at thehumormillorlando and follow the festival on Twitter at cflfest and on Instagram at cflsketchfest. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.